Welcome back to DevelopLex. Um, today you have Weston and Rawson, the Awesome Inc. studio, and uh, we're stoked to have on today Steve Pulliam. Uh, Steve has actually been a mentor of mine for several years. Um, Steve works within my office, but actually does something a little bit different than just typical commercial real estate advising, and that is actually not what we're talking about on this show today, is not just necessarily commercial real estate, but Steve has a, a very different angle on different ways to make money. Um, but is in the commercial real estate um, game as well. So, um, Steve, welcome. Yeah, sorry, I thought. Glad that. to be here, guys. Um, so, typically with our guests, we like to get into their background a little bit. So, um, if you could just give an intro to Steve Pulliam, that would be great. Well, it should be pretty simple. Uh, born in Frankfurt, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you're good. Uh, came to Lexington in 1970, the University of Kentucky, like so many people do. Uh, loved Lexington. Uh, graduated as a business degree. Uh, left here f for, with ROTC and spent some time in Indianapolis at the Finance Corps. Left there in 75, came back to Lexington. I've been here ever since. Yeah. Trying to make my way. <laughs> so uh, went to UK, went to the ROTC, came back. What what kind of brought you back to Lexington? Just missing Lexington? Well, it was interesting. My brother is a PGA golf pro. He owned a golf course over in Georgetown called Longview. We called it Wide View because it was real wide fairways. It was great for us hackers. <laughs> and uh, I was at one of his uh, socials, we'll call it, and. I was making my decision whether to stay in the military a little longer. And he says, why don't we open a retail pro shop and sell golf and tennis apparel? And I said, well, that sounds like fun. Uh, I knew nothing about business other than what I vaguely learned in college. So uh, I, I got to putting it together, opened a retail store when Rupp Arena opened. In 1975, it might have been 76. Started on Clay Avenue, moved down there, ran that for four or five years. And like a lot of people in business, ran up against the recession caused by 21.5% prime rate in 1980-81 and also um, some marketing issues that I had. So I closed that business and had left myself with some debt. And I said, well, this is quite a fix I've gotten myself into. And at that time, it wasn't popular to file bankruptcy. So I decided to, to pay it off. And I'm going, now i got to find a way to do it. And I, I had spoken with some local stockbrokers, and all you had was Hilliard Lines and Merrill Lynch in town back then. And they were looking for guys that knew rich people, and I didn't really know many. And uh, so I, I was talking to all kinds of businesses, trying to get a job, because I had a large second mortgage on my house. And uh, this guy named Fordyce Cardi called me, and he goes, Steve, I hear you're looking for something to do. That was before the Internet and all that. I go, yeah. He goes, you want to sell businesses? I go, Fordyce, I appreciate it, but I don't know any rich people. 
He goes, nah, we're selling Main Street America. He said, we're, we're selling existing businesses. He says, there's a lot of unemployment. And he says, and there's a lot of businesses for sale. And this is a good time to be doing this. I said, you know, and I might, I told him I might find my next, next entrepreneurial situation doing that. He says, yes, you might. So I started doing that. And this was 1982. And next thing I knew, it was 2023. Wow. So the when people ask you what you do, that's probably a somewhat of a difficult thing to translate to people is that you sell businesses. How do you how do you typically tell people that? Well, it's the going concernness of any piece of any business. I mean, you know, if you buy stocks on Wall Street, you're buying a piece of that company all the time. They're liquidly sold through through the markets. And there's no orderly sale for the sale. There's no orderly way to, to sell small, closely held businesses. And th we're entering a period of time, especially now, uh, as people of my generation, the baby boomers are retiring uh, at quick rates. And many of them don't have an exit strategy or many of them don't know what they've got if they have anything. And so it's an exciting time for us. I've taken on a an associate named Justin Ryder who's doing a bang-up job. He's got the fresh legs and and energy that I'm start, starting to lose a little bit of, but I still got some knowledge base to maybe help us go along. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Bank of the Bluegrass. It's easy to preach about being a community bank without actually operating that way, but I can attest as a real customer of Bank of the Bluegrass that they are truly in the community and for the community. Whether it's closing a real estate transaction that needs some creativity, troubleshooting an issue where you need a real person on the other end of the phone, or just the simple fact that when you walk in the door, your banker knows your name, Bank of the Bluegrass has you covered. Plain and simple, the best bank in town. Bank of the Bluegrass, member FDIC. NMLS 421548 Equal Housing Wonder. DevelopLex is sponsored by SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate, a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff and 200-plus offices across the globe. The SVN Stone team consists of experienced commercial real estate advisors in the heart of the bluegrass. SVN provides commercial real estate services to large corporations, middle market businesses, and individual entrepreneurial investors. Serving the greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With transaction volume of over 400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. So today, so today you and Ryder, um, you know, are based out of the SVN office, but you have another business. Yes. The, about four years ago, after I'd sold SVN to Matt Stone, um, I was thinking I needed to get back to my roots a little bit. So I've, I've re-energized the Pulliam Company, which was the name of my business brokerage company, and now we call it Bluegrass Business Advisors. Gotcha. 
So you, so you led the SVN office, you started the SVN commercial real estate office in Lexington and you were simultaneously selling businesses or did you kind of yes, put a pause? I had it? a reputation from the eighties, nineties and early two thousands as a guy that could sell businesses. And a lot of people are going, well, isn't business commercial real estate? No, it really isn't. Uh, it's the, sometimes it's the business in a commercial piece of real estate, but it's, it's people's cash flow. It's, mm -hmm. it's. I've sold dental <clears throat> practices. I've sold pharmacies. I've sold the corner grocery store. I've sold hardware stores. I've sold many bars and restaurants. It's small town, town America stuff. They call it Main Street uh, business brokerage. In America, there's probably about six thousand of us that do this. And if you compare that to say commercial real estate agents, there's probably 200,000. Mm -hmm. Or if you compare it to residential real estate agents, there's probably millions, multiple yeah. millions. So it's a narrow market, but Lexington's big enough to support two or three brokers. And and I think I've done an okay, pretty good job of, of successes. Yeah. And of course, when you do that, um, people, the word gets out. The if you got satisfied buyers and sellers, then that helps. Yeah. And my my referral base comes from those people. Plus, it comes from attorneys, accountants, financial planners are good because they're wanting me to liquefy those assets that are tied up in people's businesses so they can help them reinvest and go to more passive type things than what is active. The difference between what I do and what other, these are active operating businesses. And, you know, somebody's got to go to work is the concept. You know, some would say you buy jobs, but that's not always the case. Many of the buyers are people who are buying market share, either vertically or horizontally in their businesses. Um, you have a lot of people, first-timers, uh, they're tired of the corporate world. You know, the the perfect, the, if I was gonna break down the perfect selling group, it'd probably be people from 65 and up, and then the perfect buying group is probably people 40 to 60 because they're the ones who've been through life enough, they've accumulated some some net worth or assets that would enable them to buy a business. The biggest thing that most people understand that they, I wouldn't say most people, uh, professional people understand is sellers want extreme confidentiality when they sell their business. They want you to protect their proprietary information. They want us to screen the buyers to make sure they're capable of buying their business and then help them to profession. Once we get a letter of intent to professionally get them to the closing table, okay. we're helping sellers quietly and confidentially sell their business. Yeah, I'd say I'd say there's some nuance to that for sure, um, and I would I would guess that business sales get more maybe emotional than real estate. 
Well, you know, real estate's very emotional, but yes, this is most sellers' babies, and it's most buyers buying their their next life's work. Yeah. You know, we help people get in, and we help people get out, and and it's a very illiquid and inexact science. It's it's an art form. So, what goes into that art form when you're coming up with the valuation of any, anything from a, a service-based business versus a, um, a a parts-based something that carries a higher inventory? How do you how do you do that? Okay. First of all, we try not to say we're appraisers of businesses. Mm-hmm. We, do, we have people we can get them with, or sometimes they're professionals, they're accountants, and, and other people in the industry will help them get there. But if they don't know, and a lot of people call just want to know, what have I got? If anything, unfortunately, a lot of times I've been the grim reaper because if they're not making any money, there's, I don't care how much inventory they have or how many years they've been in business or how hard they work, it's hard to get them much for their effort. Mm-hmm. And that's that's some of the tough part of it. But that's part of the calling I do for the market up front. I help sort them, sort them out. I, I, When I first got into business back in the early 80s, I, I would sell like one out of every eight businesses I listed. Now I've got it down to about one out of every two to three. So, and, you, you know, it's the, from a buyer's perspective, same thing. A lot of buyers want their confidentiality protected too. And because they might have a job somewhere and they're looking to change directions. And so we, we sign confidentiality agreements, both with buyers and sellers to protect uh, their proprietariness. In, in real estate, um, you know, like our day-to-day, you can typically come up with comps for like if you're selling a house, if you're selling a building, whatever it might be, if you're selling a cap rate, um, where, I mean, if you're trying to give somebody a, a range on what their business is worth, how have you guys traditionally done that? If you have a takeaway at all today, here's the, here's the good one. For the last 25 years, every year, I buy a book called The Business Reference Guide. It's about $200, and I get it online as well. And I use that as my rule of thumbs. The But the reality is rules of thumbs are just rules of thumb. And, you know, each business has its own nuances. Every one of them is different. But the reality is they're generally sold for multiples of cash flow. And that when I say cash flow, uh, most buyers come in and they go, well, I want to see those tax returns. And if they don't see anything on the bottom line, they go, oh, this thing ain't worth anything. Well, those people weren't buyers. Yeah. You know, you got to do the ad, what we call ad back analysis. Uh, you get basically it's EBITDA, which is a term used by the middle market people and up lower middle market and up, plus seller's salary, what they're drawing out of it, and personal uh, expenses are running through the business. So you add that all up, and you get a number called seller's discretionary earnings. And we use that as a multi—we take a multiple of that 
as sort of a range. Now, we give a range because some people are more motivated than others. Mm. And, it, you know, if somebody's got a bad health problem or if they've got a, you know, a, a, somebody's passed away or if if somebody's got another job they're going to take or there's, there's all kinds of reasons for people to sell their business and not all of them are negative. You know, there's a perception that, oh, if that business is for sale, then there's something wrong with it. Well, that's that's just gossip. That's just talk. Uh, the ones that I generally will work with, if they might have a problem or two, and you and a buyer hopes they have a problem or two, that that's, goes counterintuitive, doesn't it? Mm. But they're going if they got some problems and I can cure them, then I can make this a better business, and then, which at that point makes it a business opportunity. So, yeah. so. Understand there is confidentiality, but tell us about some of the success stories over your term that people might know or, or may, may connect well, with back home. Yeah, I don't know that how many of them I can talk about here, but I can talk about types of things. For example, just this year we've sold four or five, and uh, one of them was a, a, a plumbing contracting business. Another one was a... HVAC business. Another one was a coffee retail business. We sold a coffee wholesale business. And we sold a collision care business. So as you can see, it it just sort of hits all over the place. Mm -hmm. But cash flow is cash flow, guys. And and it just makes <clears throat> common sense to me rather than going through the trouble of starting something from scratch mm -hmm. and spending more money than you need to, if there's an existing opportunity out there that you can live with, here's the other thing. Most buyers that want to own their own business, they might come in saying, I want a distribution business or I want a franchise with McDonald's or whatever. And But the reality is they're just looking for something where they control their own destiny. And if you can show them something that they start liking, it's like anything. You know, it's like being in a store. They they like it. That's very important. And here's the other thing it's important. The seller likes them. Because what's that buyer's buying is basically that seller's life's worth, work mm -hmm. in many cases. And guess what? That buyer's going to have trouble just going to the bank and getting money for for a business that has no collateral or very little collateral because inventory moves, equipment's discounted and, and, and franchises and the like are not much thought of by, by banks as far as loaning on. They're going to be looking at the buyer, but more importantly, what about the seller? The seller is a great source for getting these businesses financed, and there are some advantages to them. We, we recommend they work closely with their accountants and their their attorneys and to execute that. But I would say in the last two or three years, the, the most of the businesses have some form of seller finance participation in them. What are some of the other ways that people can do it, whether through SBA or um, or how, how do banks see? This. Yeah, to I, I, I was about to have the same question. Um, 
with real estate, it's different because there's collateral to it. How, how have you guys gotten deals across the line and what kind of different products have you done to, to actually get deals done on the financing end? Well, as I said, we'll, we'll ask the seller if they want to participate or if the, if the, we're, you know, before we waste everybody's time, we, we hope the, the buyer will confide in us their financial abilities to buy the business. And sometimes we can look at their balance sheets, whether it be through securities they own or through else. Some people are doing it with IRAs and, and the like. They can, they can uh, leverage those or they use uh, home equity lines of credit. You know, sometimes it's just a combination of earnouts and, and seller, you know, you, you just sort of a collage of things you do to to make it happen because you got to get creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in these times, you got to even get more creative. We, one we just recently sold that did do an SBA loan, which those are out there. Now, keep in mind, most SBA loans, there's different forms of them, but the, the banks are making the loans, but they're guaranteed by the government. That's what makes them go ahead and do it. But they will make cash flow loans. Keep in mind, I'm selling cash flow mainly in these businesses. And now when I say cash flow, it's not gross income. It's not net. It's seller's discretionary earnings. Hmm. And, you know, generally they sell at multiples somewhere between one to four Hmm. in that range. Yeah. So that's, I've actually, since... Since I've come on with SVN, however many years ago, six years ago, um, the the business brokerage side has been really interesting to me because um, I was always, you know, I think in our culture, it's it's really cool to be quote unquote entrepreneur and, and you know we're sitting in Awesome Inc. and which is a host to a lot of startups, but this is a completely different angle. Um, why why do people? Um, and how do you coach people on buying a business instead of starting up a business? Well, it's easy to, to I mean, because I went through it myself. It's easy to advise somebody to buy an existing deal that's already working. Yeah. As opposed to buying something that's a startup. And that's where you hear those amounts of failure, 70, 80 percent. Most businesses never get out of the blocks. Mm. They go down, you know, in the first three years because they never really got in business. Mm. A lot of these businesses have been around 10, 20, 30, 50, sometimes 100 years. And um, I just think it's an excellent opportunity for somebody that wants to buy their own destiny. And I'll say this, for the people I've seen, you can talk to your financial advisors that have real wealth most of them own their own business. Hmm. So if you want to generate wealth and financial freedom, yeah, you can do it through real estate. You can do it through hard work and, you know, you're working your, for the other man. Yeah. But to me, the true wealth is made, the true American dream to me is owning your own business. That's my perception. Craftsman Contractors is Central Kentucky's one-stop shop for roofing, windows, siding, and gutters. Craftsmancontractors.com slash contact us will get you straight to the form you need so their team will get in touch about your project. 
or just text Stephen at 859-246-0108. When they finish your project of windows, siding, gutters, or roofing, you'll see what they mean when they say we build with integrity. Are you looking to start or scale your real estate portfolio in Central Kentucky? Check out Rapid Fire Investments. They find off-market, discounted real estate deals just for you, so you can save time and maximize profits. From single-family homes to multifamily apartments, no matter what your investment goals are, Rapid Fire can help you reach them. Sign up for their email list today and get notified when new properties become available. Just go to rapidfireinvestments.com. That's rapidfireinvestments.com. What's what's interesting about you um, is that you've been in this the the business sales game for so long. Um, I'm sure there's been one a lot of turbulence. There's different market conditions that have been a part of it, and then two, you've probably seen the way people are entrepreneurs change and the different types of businesses. Can you speak at all to kind of you know what what has changed about business ownership? Um, for entrepreneurs or kind of what businesses have become more popular in the last few years compared to when you started doing this? Yeah. Seemed like back in the 80s, everybody wanted liquor stores, bars, laundromats, uh, dry cleaners, uh, things that had cash. Yeah. These days, there's not much cash out there. Hmm. So those things aren't as popular, they're still popular, but the service businesses, as I told you earlier, think about it. We have sold four HVAC companies in the last five years. You know, they have recurring business. You know, they, they serve, most of them were residential servicing. So they have recurring cash flow and something people can count on. And that's a lot of what people buy. You know, they're buying the history of what something was, and they're just hoping they can take it. Mm -hmm. But I would warn any buyer that's just trying to buy a job or just buy a cash flow of a business, if that's the only reason they're buying it, it's a mistake. They need to have a vision, a business plan for what they're going to do with it to make it better to make it a, you know, what can they bring to it? And I advise sellers to not sit there and tell the buyer how great everything is. Throw some of the problems they got out there, and a lot of them are outside the business. But say, you know, the reason that most people want to know, well, if it's such good business, why is it for sale? Well, my answer to that is there's generally several. And I... A, I advise the seller in the first meet with the with the buyer to tell them why they're for sale, and and that that goes different than you find in things like commercial real estate or residential real estate. Yeah. But it, it helps. Uh, you want the two to bond. If they don't hit it off, it's never going to happen. It's it's not me versus them. It's us. Yeah. And. Um, those are the most successful ones that I've seen. But service businesses, you know, home office businesses, you know, there's people working that internet and got great cash flow businesses now. Uh, the the types of businesses are changing, and it's it's going to be. I don't I don't know what the future holds, but I do know change is inevitable, and whoever can adapt to it, like 
we we all we get businesses all the time. They're working fine because they've worked that way good for 30, 40 years. And the seller won't change anything. They'll they won't even have a website. They won't have they don't do you know online sales. There's all kinds of things that youthful people like you all can bring to a to maybe an established business to bring it into the 21st century. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've been technologically challenged ever since the changes have happened. I remember back in the 80s, I used to put little line uh, classifieds in the Herald-Leader and the, and the Courier and the Cincinnati paper for businesses that I have for sale, trying to attract buyers. Now I have so many uh, portals that we we advertise. We pay and advertise people's business. We don't put the name of the business out there. We put the type, or the keywords to get people to to check in, and you know it, it's it's a much better process now. Actually, it's gotten a lot easier in many ways. Mm-hmm. But it still comes down to. Uh, you know, there's a saying in in, in some some uh, sales is see the people. Mm. Well, in this one, you see the people, you see the process, and you see the product. And if you and if a buyer can get their arms around that, they're off and pacing. You know, what somebody do when they're going to buy a, a franchise? They're buying really the book on how to do it. Well, these businesses that have been around and work, they, they have their own book. It might not be written, but that's part of the challenge. Most sellers will stay with buyers for months, if not years. And a lot of them actually have handbooks and stuff on everything from recipes to, to how they do things. But if nothing else, I've, I've seen buyers, you know, uh, if, if you're entrepreneurial, you're going to have your own ideas anyway. Mm. But you definitely don't want to change things too quick. I've seen people th- try to change things real quick and ruin the whole deal. Yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting area. It's a small niche, but it's it's real. Yeah. And there's there's websites you can go to like BizBuySell, BizQuest. LoopNet, IBBA. We're members of the International Business Brokers Association, and I just went to Orlando to to meet with them, and there was like a thousand of them down there. Yeah. And and there's a lot of energy right now because of this new. Uh, it's not new, you know. Generations have retired forever, but there's never been a baby boomer generation retire at this rate and and it's creating a, a market for it hmm. and and i always worried about in the last 15 or 20 years whether there'd be any buyers but there's always many many buyers for a good business yeah 
what are they what do they call this time that we're in like the great resignate or where all these baby boomer the silver tsunami (laughs) silver tsunami (laughs) got it which sounds to me like there's a lot of upside in buying a business i something that you said there um and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it but when i actually think about uh, assigning a value at the end of a business you you spoke to how things have changed over time in terms of credit cards versus cash. Yeah. Was that a, was that a huge, I mean. I've seen people buy businesses off their credit cards. Oh my God. Hmm. That's pretty well. Yeah. That's anyway. pretty well. So with, so with that, I mean, somebody, you know, somebody runs a cash-based business for a very long time. I'm assuming that, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, a, a cash-based business was an upside because it avoided Ta- taxes or whatever well, they we might don't have done. we don't as intermediaries and we don't get into that I tell sellers up front I don't want to hear anything about it yeah and you know what it whatever they show is what they've got yeah and I, my opinion is they weren't they shouldn't get paid twice yeah they weren't the, running a clean business yeah, to start but I don't see much of that anymore yeah but I'd uh, say a lot of I mean everybody they're has to still take out there I mean I've done a lot of markets yeah. You know, out in the country stores, uh, that you'll see it. But, yeah. And there's a lot of people do the opposite. They'll clean up money hmm. and put them in businesses and make them look like they're doing better than they are. Because hmm. they'll, they'll get money from ill-gotten gains uh, somewhere else, and then they'll, they'll clean it up through their business. Yeah. So uh, I, I, we recommend buyers do all their due diligence and— and check things out real good, but we generally don't mess with that kind of stuff. Well, to me, that that speaks volumes as to why you would use that was kind of my transition there. Why you would use a business broker instead of just me just trying to knock on somebody's door and say I'm interested in buying your business. Oh yeah. So to you all help advise and underwrite a business, um, what what are some other reasons why somebody would use a business broker instead of just, you know, somebody's going to listen to this episode and say, I want to go buy that hardware store down the street. Um, yeah, well, first of all, if you barge into a hardware store down the street and say, I want to buy your business, well, that's going to freak out all their employees. <laughs> How mad's that owner going to be? I'd say pretty mad. But, but the rea- re- reality is... Both buyers and sellers need help getting to the end because it's it's a process and and it's a little more delicate process and we probably don't have time here to go through each of the steps but um, you know there's there's different every one of them's a little different too by the way um, you know we do get occasional business that has the real estate with it. So it makes it a little easier when you go to the bank. But most, actually some of the best businesses have no real estate, nor do they want any real estate. You know, it's, you know, because they get flexibility and move. A lot of people don't need it anymore for what yeah. they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're virtual. They're out there. So uh, there's, there's, always, there's always ways to skin a cat. And people, I'll go, well, if it's a good business, why would they sell it? As I get back to it, there's, there's a host of reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're going to be negative about it going in, you're probably not going to buy anyway. Yeah. So, that makes uh, sense. But it, it is risk. Most people aren't made out to own a business. I mean, it, you, you own, uh, I can remember years ago when people would leave uh, IBM 
which is a big employer in town. And I'd meet with their people. They would tell their, they'd give these people tests to see if, if how they would handle risk. There's probably stuff out there like that now. And, uh, and only about five or 10% of them have any entrepreneurial juices in them whatsoever. So, you know, it's, it's a narrower band of folk yeah. that do it, but I highly encourage anybody that might be inclined that way to do it because from what I've seen, the people that own their own businesses are the ones that own most of the assets in this world. Yeah. So to me, it seems like there's a lot of upside. What's the term? Silver tsunami? The silver, silver tsunami. tsunami. <laughs> so with that. In my case, it's the bald tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> so to... Uh, you know, to um, timestamp this, we're in the year of 2023. There's a lot of baby boomers that are going to be retiring in the next few years. For people that are listening to this podcast and they're thinking, I, I want to buy a business, what are some businesses or industries? I mean, you've been around this for a very long time. What, what if you were to pitch somebody on like, this is a very high upside kind of business, um, what would you say? I, I couldn't be specific because every one of them we get is different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't lead people to one or another. I just say, here's what we got. It's like the inventory in my store. Yeah. But I like things. For example, we just listed a consignment store here in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, normally people go, you know, that doesn't sound like anything. But if you're if you're inclined, this is a high-end fashion for ladies ones. And the margins are there. And you don't have to worry about inventory control. Because if it doesn't sell, it goes back to whoever consigned it with you. Hmm. So they can, it's easy to know what your numbers are going to be. You just got to make sure you get stuff in there that'll sell, which I think is a great little concept. And those work good in a lot of places. So with this one, somebody looks at it, this lady, I mean, she'll, it's, is having health issues and her daughter lives out of, out of, in, in Louisville. That she'd help too. She's got the same thing up in Louisville, mm. but the, the, there's nobody here to take it over. Somebody's got to go to work mm-hmm. on most of these smaller businesses. Now, what am I calling a small business? Anything that generally throws off a million dollars of cash flow or less is a small business. I'll even bump that up to maybe two million. If a business doesn't have a hundred thousand, we tend not to even want to mess with it. Um, but we will take businesses that have a bundle of assets, be it real real estate or solid inventory or solid equipment with good accounts. Maybe for some reason or the other, the seller just might have good gross revenues but he's not making any money now because of a margin problem or a debt problem or something external that he has, some buyer could come in and maybe solve those problems. Yeah. So you got to be prepared to solve problems. And I don't think there's a best business Yeah. from what I've seen. I've, Cause I would have bought it. If there's the perfect <laughs> business out there, I would have gotten it. Yeah. And there is no perfect thing. And now I have invested in other people. That's one thing is, you know, there's a lot of rich people. They have all kinds of money 
And they, this really intrigues them. You know, they get, yeah, I want to buy one. Let's say make 30, 40% on my money, get all my money back in a year. And I go, they go, well, I, they go, who's going to run it? And I go, that is the $64 question. <laughs> I said, somebody's got to go to work. You either got to have somebody. So what we sometimes do is we have the person that can do it, but we don't have the capital. And that, that's when we can try to find a few people to help them have a partner. Yeah. Almost invest in the person yes, while it, investing yes. in the business. That's correct. That's correct. Very interesting. And we've done several that way. Not several. I'd say three or four that yeah. I can think of. Yeah. I'm but, sure there's a million different ways to structure that to oh, get yeah. somebody excited yeah. about it too. Yeah. What do you see as Lexington's market versus when you go to a, a larger market like a Cincinnati or a Cleveland or yeah. is it, is it all same main street America? What, what's Lexington? Yeah, it's, it's pretty homogeneous wherever you go, except if you go to Florida, okay, well, <laughs> see, think about all the wealth that mm. retires and moves to Florida and they get bored and they've got to have something to do and they go out and buy a business. There's like thousands of business brokers in Florida and they all work with each other like they have their own multiple listing system. Hmm. You know, it's a, it's an interesting market. A uh, place like Texas is active. California is active. You know, up east, think the big city. Anywhere you see a lot of business. I mean, everything you drive by is a business, whether it's a professional office or a we sold, we've sold a couple of uh, pharmacies here in the area. I thought pharmacy, but no, there's a certain fit for those, and they're in demand. I mean, there's all kinds of different things, but most of the stuff that we handle is within, uh, say, a 60, 70-mile radius of here. We, we do have occasional people that want us to do something in Louisville, because some people don't want the local people to know their business. For, so, and I'll go, oh, let me get you somebody that will protect your confidentiality up there. But, you know, it flies in the face of most things because what do most people want to do is go put a sign on something or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or get, you know, expose it through. But you can't, you can't do that. You have to protect that seller's confidentiality, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's very important. And, and also their, their proprietary information. Yeah. One of the big things is when do you release your proprietary information to the buyer? Mm-hmm. And basically, I said it's after a couple of meetings, and y'all gotten to know each other real good, and everybody signed a confidentiality agreement. Man, but I've not seen them backfire, but that doesn't mean it won't. <laughs> I, I have had one on a Friday with the bank. The bank president called me, said we're going to close it Monday morning at ten, and I was all excited because I was needing the fee at the time. And um, on Saturday night, about 11 o'clock, the buyer calls me. He says, we're out. I said, what? What? What's the matter? He says, my wife said no. I said, well, hadn't you ever talked to her about it? He goes, no. I thought it'd be a nice surprise for her. And she, <laughs> when I told her we were going to a closing, it freaked her out. So, uh, you know, things do happen. Yeah. It gets emotional. It, it is very emotional. Uh you know, we'll, we we have many people cry, uh, both sides that after after and buyer and sellers. Yeah, 
It's it's very interesting. Yeah, you'd be emotionally attached. Yes, yes. But the the sad part is people, you know, I've I've come to pitches in this very building for startup businesses. I was a bluegrass angel for 10 years. I mean, they're valuing business in the millions that have never grossed a penny, and it's just an idea. Hmm. And I'm selling stuff that for one to four times cash flow that's been around for years. So which one makes more sense? I, I still think I'm still in the proper lane. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we'll see what the next few years bring. You know, uh, I'm I'm 71, but it, it's sort of given me some juice. And I've got a young guy named Justin, and he's he's a firebrand. He gets it. He's got good financial mind and understands it. And he's and he's real good with people, yeah. and it it all boils down to people, guys, people, product, and processes. I like it. So that's a good transition to kind of a forward facing um, scope on the rest of this interview. Um, you've been a resident of Lexington for a very long time, since nineteen. I guess if you count college, since nineteen seventy, and then just uh, about a year with the military. So. Since 1975, we'll say. A Lexingtonian for sure. Married to Diana Evans of the Diana Evans School of Dance. She's a lot more famous than I am. <laughs> I'd say a lot more people listen and to this. probably know her. Yes, and she's she uh, she's always been good for me to vet things off of. And uh, she's got a, had a business in this town since she was 15 years old. Wow. And she's... Uh, I'm not going to tell you her age now, but she's had it 55 years. <laughs> That's so, actually a cool perspective because you've, I mean, not only have you owned businesses, but your wife has yes. been owned a small business for yeah. a very yeah. long time. They're risky, gang, but they're they're worth the risk. Yeah, I think it's risky if you don't try it, but if but if you're not up to it, if you don't have that kind of juice in you, stay. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, because it's it's a tough. It's a tough way to live if you don't understand uh, risk. Yeah. What are you most excited for for Lexington? Well, I I can't think of anything that I'm not excited about. It's it's the place I've had a passion to live in ever since I came to college here, and I'm probably not like unlike thousands of people that graduate from the university. It, I, I you know I've had the benefit of traveling a lot like. A lot of your viewers may have, and there's there's no better place than this. This is this. There's nothing but positive. You can talk, worry about growth; it'll find its way. You can worry about you know uh, a, a business environment, but it's pretty good. You got a college around here. I wish the people, if I was wishing anything, of course, in this environment they're very entrepreneurial. But I wish there was a more uh, entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit but i think i'm detecting it in these next generations that are coming along i thought it'd sort of gone away a little bit in generation but i i i think will they call them uh the one below millennials i think we're are we gen z we're cuspers we're cusp yeah we're but we're cusp we're cusp gen z i think scott i think they got it so got i'm feeling juice. i'm feeling good about it yeah that's what's so interesting about this 
this business side of things. Obviously, I sell real estate. I don't do any businesses. Whenever businesses come in, I just throw it to Bluegrass Business Advisors. But um, that's what's so interesting about these next 10 years is there are so many people that are so entrepreneurial, seemingly. And then there's a lot of great businesses out there that people are tired and want to want to move to Florida or whatever. It's so much easier. I, I've watched it. It's so much easier to sell one than to liquidate one. Hmm. And it's that has some value. And it's so much better to buy one than to try to start one up hmm. economically, emotionally, time. And we all know what time is. So it's money. And the, you, you've got you, you got to consider it. But a lot of people want to think and they and sometimes they're right is they can do it better themselves. But sometimes just take some of the tools that are already out there and try to, to try to build on those. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a good little niche and and um, I look forward to the next few years. Well, Steve, we thank you for coming on to Develop Lex today. Uh, Steve has been a big advocate for the Do program. Do I get to keep this mug? You know, that's not mine to give. So <laughs> I'm sure we could pay off some ink a little bit and maybe work that out. Develop Lex is a part of the Middle Tech family of brands. This episode is edited by Jacob Spencer. Emily McCarthy creates our social content that serves you daily. <laughs>